All right, welcome to the Peyton Years, your home for Oregon State men's basketball. The only podcast in existence dedicated solely to Oregon State men's basketball. As always, I'm your host, Andy, and I'm here with my friend, Sam. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent, Andy. Happy opening week to college basketball season to all who celebrate. We officially made it. It's been an excellent you know, first week or so of games, I've gotten a chance to catch some live ones. We made it to Guild together, and we've got a 2-0 week to talk about, exactly where we want to be. I'm excited. That's right. We've got a 2-0 week to talk about. We're going to talk about the wins. We're going to talk about the upcoming games. This is going to be a classic episode. We're back in the thick of it. But first, as always, the Oregon State fight song. Wow, I gotta say, that sounds even better when someone else is producing your podcast for you. Thank you to producer Mitch for playing the Oregon State fight song. Did it sound better to you? He, he's walking away. I like the click. Typically, there isn't a mouse click involved, and he is walking away satisfied with his work. You get a break, Mitch. Thank you so much. Mitch, a true ally to all Portland teachers and helping us with the technology to make sure we get our product out on time. Thank you, Mitch. Unlike this, this looming teacher strike, it, it, we were much more prompt. That's right. It's not looming anymore. Um, okay, let's jump into it. Oregon State kicked off its 2023-2024 season with a victory over Division Three Linfield. Sam, you were in attendance for the game. It was a thrashing. I think every player who was available played ex- Maybe not one of the walk-ons, but even Felipe, one of the walk-ons, got in at the very end. Yes, Felipe got in. A classic beatdown. I mean, what you want to see as someone who was in attendance. I got a chance to take in that game with Marla, maybe perhaps our favorite listener. I think she's got the title. I don't know who's going to take that from her. We've got some great ones, but so that was great to see her. Um, But yeah, I mean, when you compare it, I think, to the way they looked against Bushnell, who was an NAIA team that they played in their third game a year ago, Night and day. I mean, they, Bushnell had their moments of runs. Linfield didn't have any of that, really. They, they were fortunate to get the 46 points that they got. Yeah, a truly dominant um, display by Oregon State. I think it really started with defense, which is what you want when you have um, such a physical advantage over a Division three school. Um, yeah, statistically, the, the numbers offensively aren't great. They shot 46% from the field. We're only 6 of 23 from three and still managed to score 82 points. So that tells you they were forcing a lot of turnovers and not giving up a ton of offensive rebounds and stuff like that. Yeah, the offense is still yet to find his footing, although we've seen good individual performances in the first two games. Yet to kind of see a cohesive groove. And, yeah, the three-point shot has been lacking the first two games. On the defensive note in the first game against Linfield, who are some of the players that stood out to you? Because I've got a couple in my mind who I think are making big jumps this season. Well, I thought all the all the starters, I mean, it's the first time seeing Billado play live with the added bulk. He looked great. I mean, nobody played a ton of minutes, and you don't want anybody playing a ton. But I thought defensively outside the starters, Gavin Mars was the first one that looked really exciting to me. Yeah, Gavin Mars was who I was going to bring up to. Seven foot... I don't even want to call him a center because he's more of a power forward. Very fluid for how tall he is. And he does seem to be a legitimate seven-footer. In the Linfield game, you saw him. uh, The Linfield game was fun to watch, even though it was like a 40-point game. Because you got to see Wayne really experiment. You got to see players get run who maybe won't get a lot of shine during the regular season. you got to see him kind of toy with some things. And one of the things he played with was putting Mars at the top of the 1-3-1. Kind of an a la Kyler Kelly. 
it looked good. He's so fluid. He's kind of good at guarding on the perimeter as well as blocking shots in low. He's kind of making me think of Andre Karolenko. He looks like a beaver Andre Karolenko. Shout out to the former Jazz big man who blocked Kobe multiple times. Never forget. Yeah, and Mars has had about three block shots in that one and several more against Troy. But he, um, just a ton of potential. It was just so exciting to see Wayne use that many different defenses in one game. We haven't really seen that for the past two seasons, and he's got a lot of guys who have been with him longer. And so it's exciting to think about the different possibilities. But, yeah, the 1-3-1 was the one that stood out the most. It reminded you of, like you said, Kyler Keller, even a little bit Eric Moreland going back further when Craig Robinson would play it. Yeah, he's very, very mobile. Not who I thought he would be, just looking at like his kind of like sparse highlights online or reading about him, you know, not the type of game I thought. I thought he'd be more in a billet mode, but he really is just kind of like a fluid, active defender. He's a good passer on offense, too. Had a couple of nice assists for backdoor passes. Like, I think there's a lot there to work with. Yeah, I mean, it reminds you a little bit of Bilodeau a year ago. He's he's even skinnier than, than Tyler was. But if he can add 15, 20 pounds, he's going to be a really, really exciting offensive threat as well. Yeah, in the Linfield game, let's just talk on the other freshmen, too, because or talk about the other freshmen, because they didn't get as much run outside of Josiah Lake in the second game. But saw more of them today. Um, let's start with Josiah Lake, who I just brought up. The walk-on, getting a ton of run, closing out the double overtime game against Troy. He looks really good, very physical defender, really stout for a guard. Just has a knack for making plays, kind of. I don't know, like a throwback player almost. Yeah, there's about 150 mostly mid-major schools that should be ashamed that they didn't offer. I mean, I don't know what his scholarship situation was, but that's you won't find a better walk-on, as a freshman especially, than than Josiah Lake right now. Seven assists to no turnovers in 20 minutes is really impressive for your first college game, even if it is a Division three team. But he did not look phased at all. He looked just so comfortable playing against guys he knows he's better than. Well, yeah, I think he's going to be the first one that we throw the OKG against. He's an our kind of guy. Our kind of guy. I don't love everything about Tom Izzo, but I do love the moniker OKG. Mm-hmm. And I think Josiah Lake definitely solidifies himself as an OKG. And then... um just on the last of the freshmen, Dijon Craig, who I think will end up being my favorite player on the team by the end of the season. Love his game. Talk about a, a player that so many HBU schools should be kicking themselves for not having. It's like I've seen a million guards like him just go off. Such a good shooter, just a spark plug on offense. Got a lot of craft to his game. Super fun to watch. I don't understand how he was available till September. It blows my mind. Right. I mean, that's like he is on scholarship. The Beavers held on to one and, and ended up finding a dude. But so, like, props to everybody for getting that done. He didn't have a Division One offer before the Beavers gave him one in mid September. He would have had to have played for. I'm sure he was planning on going JUCO, but yeah, he waited and. Like, those are two of the best finds in the country, I'll say it. Diamond's in the rough, for sure. But, yeah, he's got a lot of scoring potential as well. Went 4-7 in this game. Not afraid to get a shot up. Not afraid to get a shot at all. He is actively, he's permanently in the shooter's pocket. <laughs> yeah, and he, so he, they had a failed alley-oop attempt to him. I think Josiah Lake had one as well, but he can get up as good as anybody. Too. He did he make, might be he, the best he did, he made, he made his alley-oop layup. He made, but he, oh, he, he wasn't was able to dunk it. Yeah. It was just a, a little overthrown, but still a very fluid catch. A ton of athleticism, really springy. Definitely not the six one he's listed at. He is tiny, no. but he is fun to watch. Josiah Lake is listed at six one, and he's not six one. And, and Dejon Craig is an inch or two smaller. Than I think Josiah Lake might be six one. He looks big. He's really he, and, and yeah, you know, of course, son of a, a a former Beaver himself. So what an exciting 
situation. But yeah, I mean, the guard depth is so much better than I think anyone could have predicted because of those two. Definitely. And I think, you know, you saw Casey Beckway look good, took it to the hole um, pretty strong. Scholl got some action. I think there's going to be depth there. Michael Rattai is out with a shin injury, and Justin Rochland missed the first game because he was in concussion protocols. But, yeah, I think there's a lot of depth for this Beaver team that's not being factored in. Yeah, I mean, especially when you when you consider they played, what was it, 12 guys without those two who are going to get minutes and, and maybe major minutes throughout the year. But, yeah, Bill uh, Abekwe, Sarrier, and Scholl only played about 10 minutes each. If they did play 35 minutes, they could have had – 25 30 rebounds they would I mean there was just not much of an answer for them there was not much of a reason to play them more than that yeah you, no one's gonna get a lot of extended minutes uh Pope we'll talk about him more in the next game but he looked great in this first game that step back jumper it looks like Chris Paul he seems like he's got that mid-range step back he can get to it whenever he wants it looks so clean I stand by my Pope will take a sophomore leap this year he appears to, and I mean, we saw it in person Friday. He, th- what a dog, man! What a dog. Former Peyton years guest Jordan Pope. Any uh, thing else you want to touch on from the Linfield? Um, I I think to to surmise it, it went according to script. The rumors are true. I did join Mike Parker at halftime for a quick chat on the radio broadcast. That was a thrill. We're hoping to get Andy on. Thank you to Trevor Kramer, of course, for. For putting that together, but I, I go find it. It's it's in the ether somewhere, and tell me how I did. And uh, I just want to put this on record too. I I think Linfield is the first college basketball team I've ever seen in my life that is a hundred percent white guys. They they were pasty out there, L- yes, but that's it, not an exaggeration. Literally, I think they had fifteen white guys on the team. I don't think there was anything but white guys. I don't think I've ever seen that in a college team before. No, and it, it, like without making judgment or whatever, go go Wildcats. We know some. Yeah, it's not a mark. I'm just Wildcats. saying, like it's just such it an is, outlier. It is like a, it it stands out to you though. It's tough not to to acknowledge. I mean, it's hard for any team to get like that. I'm just like, what's going on? Um, okay, moving on to the game that me and you were both able to attend in person, uh, the Troy, the double overtime thriller, Oregon State undefeated all time against Troy. Uh, this was their first meeting. They beat them. What was the score? 81, 81 to 80. 81-80 in double overtime. Shout out to Trevor Kramer hooking us up with amazing seats. Brent Berry inducted into the Hall of Fame at halftime. Maybe the most fun Beaver game I've ever been to in my entire life. It, yep. Easily. I mean, definitely up there. And we've been to quite a few, but it's it's very cool to be at that vantage point with Brent Barry also chilling out with his wife just to your right and getting congratulations. He ha- obviously had a lot of former teammates there, which was very cool. They were rowdy in the bathroom at halftime enjoying themselves. But yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? That's so They odd. were just hooting and hollering. No, okay. that's <laughs> that sounded way more cryptic than that. That did sound very cryptic, yes. meant it to be. I didn't name any names. No, they were just yelling and, you know, high fiving and whatnot. You but, almost got a bombshell news story from No, 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 no. Yeah, <laughs> no, we're not doing that here. But um yeah, I mean game of the year so far, obviously, of the two, but uh I Troy was described as a trip to the dentist and that is a fair. I think they're going to be they were picked middle of the pack in the Sun Belt. I think they're going to win some games. Yeah, they look good. They had solid guard play. Uh their freshman Dowd is a stud shooter. He led them with I believe 21 points. He hit the three-pointer, banked it in to send it into the first overtime. But yeah, good team, strong defense, really pressed Oregon State. I think it's a game where um, it helps you down the line, especially winning in a close game like that where there's high pressure, high ball pressure, full court pressing, stuff that Oregon State has traditionally struggled with in the last like two or three years. 
Um, and struggled with, to be fair, in this game. I think they had like something like 20, 20 plus turnovers, I believe. Yeah, 21 total turnovers. And Troy had that many as well. But uh, a game that didn't need to be that close. They were 26 of 39 free throws, 5 of 21 from threes, but hit big shots when it mattered, especially Jordan Pope and Dexter Acano and Christian Wright in those overtimes. I mean... Yeah, Jordan Pope went off. I think he had, he had 9 of his 16 points in the two overtime periods, including... Uh, one, the bucket descended to the second overtime and the game winner. I think the, he was one of overtime. his first of ele- one of 11 to start the game from the field before he heated up. So th- that's just dog mentality. Does not stop shooting. Well, I think you can put that, too, on the guards for um, Troy because was it Muhammad? I can't remember the point guard's name. I, think, I want to say it was Muhammad. Yeah. That guy is going to end up in the NFL. Like, especially sitting up close and seeing him, he is huge. He's like a brick house, and he was on Pope for a lot of times. So. He, he reminded me a little bit of Michael Duvivivier. Yeah, he definitely he had Duvivier. the traps, kind of, which you very rarely see. Scoot Henderson sort of has, but very rare that you see it on a basketball player, and especially a guard. And they... Troy, I think, was called for like eleven fouls in the first. They came out and they were they. You could tell the game plan was we're gonna muscle these guys. They're young because Troy was an older team outside of Dad who got a lot of playing time. But they came out every single time an Oregon State player dribbled their hand. Uh, a Troy player's hand was on their hip. Very physical game. The refs kind of reeled it in, although I think a little bit uneven officiating, but the officials are still getting back into it. You were very patient with the refs, I Yeah, that's say. what everyone around me was saying, is that it's amazing the way that you're not letting bad calls stress you out and you're not expressing that to, to the officials or the people around you. Yes, I was very poised. I was proud of myself. Yeah, I thought you did a good job, Especially too. considering how horrific they were in those two overtimes. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, it reminded you a little bit of Arizona State's tactic of, like, we the officials can't blow the whistle this consistently for 40 minutes. They're right. going to have to allow it to get a little more physical, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, the player that responded the best out of the opening gate was uh, Christian Wright, who played his best game as a Beaver. I think By he's, far. I think he's really going to come into form this year. He had, I think, 11 points in the first half. Sorry, I don't have my stats in front of me. I don't have my... Laptop for the game, 14 points, and because it was two overtimes, he played 42 minutes, five of six, four or five from the free throw line, yeah. uh, four steals, which is huge, obviously, in a game like that where there's 40 turnovers between the two teams. Yeah, but from the opening tip, you kind of thought that Oregon State was going to run away with it because Christian Wright just took his man and put him in the spin cycle, the doghouse, whatever you want to use to call it. He blender, just took it, torture blender, chamber. torture chamber, whatever you want. And he took it right to the rack. I think he had like six points in a row to start the game for himself, just on fire, not stoppable. Dexter Cano got in the mix. He was putting up a lot of shots early. It didn't seem like the guards could really stay in front of Oregon State's guards outside of Jordan Pope. But if you were trying to get to the rim, there wasn't a lot of rim protection. Oregon State was really good on the inside. And then Troy hit some shots. You maybe see some inconsistencies with the calls. I think once Pope and Christian Wright came out of the game, the ball handling was a little suspect, so you're going to have to wonder where that's going to come from if they're both out of the game or if maybe Tinkle starts staggering them consistently. Yeah, I mean, I think he was trying to see what it looked like with just the two freshmen, Craig and uh, and, and Lake, out there. And it didn't look as smooth as it did against uh, Linfield, but Lake was great down the stretch. Josiah Lake... Uh, P.J. Carlissimo, when he called the Linfield game, was talking about how he thinks that he'll get a scholarship by the end of the year. And I'm starting to come in his boat even two games into the season because, yeah, he's he plays almost like uh, the stereotype of like a coach's son. He just seems to make the right decision, right play, 
every single time. Makes all the hustle plays. Had a huge charge down the stretch. Big and He's one. He's like even, four charges already. Yeah. Big and one, even though he missed the free throw. He seems to be in great defensive position. Just, yeah, love his game. Huge. He finished out the two overtimes. That's surprising to see. At the end, they kind of went four guards, one big, until Bilodeau thought up. Bilodeau had his best game maybe of a be- as a Beaver as well. Yeah, not, yeah, I don't want to take focus away from that because by when at the end of that game, he was cooking. But, yeah, with seven of nine from the field, they couldn't guard him down the stretch. And the foul that fouled him out was so horrendous. It's true. I believe Bilodeau was 18-12 and 12 for his first double-double as a OSU Beaver. He's looking really good in the post. You're seeing... The soft touch that he showed last year, where he'd hit those kind of like one dribble fadeaways, is still there. But the strength that he added over the offseason, at least in these first two games, when he takes that one dribble, he's getting more space from his defender. And he's just so skilled that if he gets that up every time, I think he's going to put up big numbers. I wouldn't be surprised to see Bilodeau maybe be the leading scorer on this team this year. He's a matchup nightmare, especially against some of these, as even the good ones like Troy mid-major or high mid-major teams. They, there's just not a lot of guys with that height and strength combination that have that skill set that he was showing, especially in the first overtime. Yeah, another freshman who played a lot, uh, who we didn't mention in the Linfield game, I feel kind of bad now because I kind of came around on him. I was texting you during the Linfield game that I wasn't completely sold, but Noah Endong played really well. Thomas Endong. Thomas Endong, sorry. Thomas Endong played really well against Troy. He's very strong, very big, a traditional power forward, I would say, which is kind of rare these days. Plays within himself. He's got really great hands, really soft hands. He's a great rebounder, really good at catching the ball. Although I will say that one of the turnovers were at the very end of the game where he just passed it right through his hands is a little suspect. But he played really well, and he closed out the overtimes, which was interesting seeing you know Casey, Abekwe, and Scholl on the bench and seeing them go to Endong with four guards, one of whom was also Josiah Lake, closing the game with Pope, Akano, Christian Wright. Yeah, Lake, Wayne, I mean, and good for him. He made the decision to go away from his two true you know seven-plus-foot centers and go a little smaller because Endong was playing better. He had eight rebounds in 26 minutes. He hit a huge three when, as a team, they only hit five. I mean, obviously, that's one of the biggest shots of the game, but... He was everywhere. He blocked a shot. They had eight block shots as a team. So even without... Gavin Mars had a couple. Mars had a couple. Dexter's was probably the best one. And we'll talk about his game for just a second in a minute. But yeah, Endong, I think, can be that spark plug. And yeah, because Bilodeau was out, they had really no other choice unless they wanted to put Scholl or KC back in back in after sitting 20-plus minutes or more. You know, And, and he was awesome. Yeah, let's talk about O'Connor's game for a little bit because he's looking really good to start the season. Obviously, the starters, the Troy game is like more of an actual game than Linfield, so you kind of see who are Wayne's guys, who he's going to run with. And O'Connor, definitely one of them. 48 minutes, yeah. 48 minutes, really good attacking the rim, putting pressure on the rim, using his size and strength, and kind of letting an inside game lead to his outside game. I think he had two threes. He had a cut. One of them was very clutch, big one. Um, yeah, what did what did you think from Makano? Yeah, you know, he he's clearly got the mentality of I can score every time I get it, and uh, like he just he's kind of filling the Glenn Taylor role of like getting it and being like I'm gonna make some offense on my own, which is something the Beavers were definitely gonna need this. Two year. out of five from three. I mean, you do that every game. You're a forty percent three point shooter. He's dead, but yeah, his focus is getting to the rim. He took sixteen shots. It was a little inefficient. Ten free throws though. I mean, so they they couldn't really stop him from getting into the pain and getting shots at them. No, his drives are – it's not the similar – it's not the same as Bilodeau's uh, 
one dribble and then a fadeaway, but he does take like he has a move that he seems to go to a lot where he takes like an extremely hard dribble into the paint and then does a little spin fadeaway from like kind of right in front of the hoop and he's gotten really good at that. Yeah, I mean, did did get his eighteen points even though it, you need sixteen shots to get it. But outside of being a little inefficient, it's a really good game still. He blocked a shot like we talked about, had two steals, had an assist when as a team they didn't have a ton. It was a lot of post-ups and one-on-one stuff where there's just not going to be an assist on a made basket. A lot of one-on-one offense. A lot. Or a one-on-two in Dexter's case at times. (laughs) But they they didn't stop him. I mean, and and I, you know, don't be shocked at all if there's a game, especially, I mean, there was two overtimes, so it's longer, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him approach 16 shots in a game again. I wouldn't be surprised to see it consistently. I think that we've answered the question of where are... Glenn Taylor's shot's going to go. <laughs> Dexter, mostly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, J- Jordan Pope did end the game with two more attempts. He was five yeah. of eight. Well, he was always going to get his shots. That was right. a side thing. But who's who's going to take up the shots that Glenn Taylor, the second leading scorer for the team last year, how, who's going to take up his mantle? And I think it's going to obviously be Dexter. In a game like and Bilodeau, too, to be fair. But. Right. The 20 turnovers limit the number of attempts, but you'd love to see Bilodeau get a few more, you know, be up over double-digit attempts and even – even somebody like Josiah Lake or Dejon Craig, who didn't play as many minutes in this one. Josiah Lake did. He ended up with 22 because of the overtimes. But 59 total shots is probably a little lower than you want, especially when your opponent gets 71. But when you hold them to 33%, you got a good chance to win. That's true. Um, okay, anything else you want to cover? We talked about Kano. We talked about Pope. We talked about Wright. We can acknowledge that some of the airs outside of the officiating at the end of the game certainly the regulation and you just like <laughs> you I mean, mean the air horn that went off in one of Troy's last possessions where everyone stopped and looked at it I don't think that affected the last shot no, no, I no, do because they they, they didn't yeah they they well I, I, I didn't mean that I meant the the being up three after making a pair of free throws with about six seconds left and you know some people Oh, you're talking about the, you want to talk about the no foul? Well, yes, yeah, let's just bring it up strongly. Do you, I, how do you feel about it? Because Wayne Tinkle, the layback people didn't see the game to send it to the original overtime. Troy hit a three with time expiring, no time on the clock. Um, yeah. It was a bank in three, kind of a thirty footer. It's kind of the classic argument for why a lot of coaches take the foul and put them at the line for two free throws. So, what did you think about it? I mean, that's that's my personal opinion on it. I certainly understand. The, the idea that you're introducing another level of possibility where he could make the shot, you know, you could get a three-point I my what attempt I didn't, or, I, you know, three-shot foul. I honestly thought it was a good call not to foul just because – and I normally I am on the side of fouling in that situation to prevent them from taking a three-point shot. But I thought the game and especially the officiating had gotten so chaotic and there had been several – like random loose ball fouls called in that last like minute and a half. I think that if you go to the line and you put them at the line, they hit a free throw and then they intentionally miss it with the way the game was going, the ebbs and flows, there's a chance that there's a loose ball foul and you put them back at the line and then that's the best, easiest case. So I, I that was my personal take on it, but yeah, could it's be debated either way. Your typical early season college basketball kind of late game I don't know if you call it a blunder. He made a hell of a shot. He banked a shot at the buzzer. But no, he's a great player. He was the best player on their team. Yeah, he, I and mean, he's only a freshman. Only a true a freshman. freshman. Uh, yeah, Thomas Dowd. Keep an eye. Like I would not be surprised. I don't think to he'll see stay him. at Troy. Sure. Yeah, he could. He like, he would definitely fit in well at a power six school. But yeah, it it sucked. It was the guy. Him or Muhammad were the two that you really just didn't want to see taking that shot. It did seem like any time the Beavers were up four, I 
think it happened about four times in the second half. One of those two hit a three to bring it back to one, and you just knew, like, we're not shaking them. Okay. All right, uh, let's move on to the preview. So Oregon State has two games this week. On Tuesday, they take on Appalachian State at Gill Coliseum at 7 o'clock. And then on Friday, they're traveling to South Dakota to take on Nebraska. And 1 what is, p.m. tip. Maybe. 1 p.m. tip. And what is the most confusing college basketball game we've had in a while? What game do you want to break down first? We'll, we'll go. We'll go through Appalachian State. It's um. It's an interesting opponent. Another Sun Belt team. Don't well, love. Sam. I got to stop you right there. This is a rivalry game right now. That's true. This is a rivalry it game. It may not have been even four days ago, but it damn well is now. It's a rivalry game now. If you need some emotional stakes for Tuesday, just know that Appalachian State is playing. James Madison University on Saturday uh, in a game that ESPN College Game Day is going to, instead of the Oregon State-Washington top 10 football showdown in the Pac-12, an extreme example of Beaver bias that they would choose the number 18 team in the country against Appalachian State over an Oregon State-Washington State game with major Pac-12 implications on the line. So this is now officially a rivalry game. James Madison, by the way, not bowl eligible. It's just frankly not that interesting of a football game. Yes, so it will be nice to hand something to to those who are traveling out from Boone, North Carolina. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's supposed to be a very good team. They did lose to Northern Illinois 91-78 in their second game. They took on a D3 school in their first one and beat them by 40 or so. Yeah, they're supposed to be really good. I mean, they're projected to be second in the Sun Belt, which is traditionally a good, you know... The Sun Belt is almost like a multi-bid league. Yeah, almost. So, projected to be second in the Sun Belt. They return, I believe, like 60-70% to of their scoring from last year. It's a very mature team. Yeah, what do you think? A little bit flip from Troy, who was really good last year and then lost... The majority of their production, Appalachian State was more middle of the pack, but brings everybody back, and they're expected to... They had a decent season last year, too. I think they won 17 games or something like that. But, yeah, they've got three guys that were um, that were preseason all-conference in that league, which is pretty impressive. And their, and their loss to, to Northern Illinois, I think they had four guys in double figures. They scored 78 points as a team on 77 shots, which... You know, compare that to the Northern Illinois had 58, So, but they shot 50%. That's pretty uncommon. So, I mean, that would tell you they play at a very fast pace. They get a lot of shots up, obviously. And they bring in a couple of stud Juco players, too. That's what I was doing when I was yeah. reading about the team. They have, I forget the name of the center who's on their team now, but he led the nation for junior college last year in block shots. So that'll be an interesting component for their Oregon State, who, frankly, has not yet played a team that has a legitimate rim protector any real semblance of it, honestly. I mean, Troy played good help defense, but it wasn't like you were running into a giant. Yeah, Donovan Gregory led them in scoring, and he is supposed to be their their leading scorer, 7 of 12. So, I mean, they had some guys that were efficient, but overall, not very many. Two of their starting guards went a combined 4 of 19. So, I think a pretty chaotic team. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and call them another trip to the dentist, unfortunately. I I would assume they do some pressing. They're very physical. Didn't get a chance to see them play against Northern Illinois. But we know this will be a, a similar test to Troy. No, and I – yeah, I think that the Beavers' early season schedule is harder than it seems on the surface. Like These are tough, non-major conference schools. Um, yeah, they guard- gave themselves a Linfield, and then these are two really good tests. Yeah, and then and then Nebraska, that's a major school with an NBA head coach. Fred Hoiberg's still the coach of Nebraska, correct? Yes, he is. And, and uh, 
Right. I mean, if you're critical because these are two Sunbelt teams, then first of all, you don't really my my hot, My hot take is that I think that um, both Troy and Appalachian State will be harder games than Nebraska. Damn. I mean, it's very possible. Uh, not necessarily. It's going to be a very interesting atmosphere at the at the Pentagon in South Dakota against Nebraska. Are they playing it? It's called the Pentagon? Yeah, it's some, the Samford Pentagon. It's like one of the oldest courts that's still functional. It's got a very weird dimensions. It's on Peacock. It's going to be a weird one, a weird vibe to deal with for sure. Okay, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about the Nebraska team. I wasn't able to look them up or do much research on them yet so far. But I will say that Fred Hoiberg is f- was a great, great run at Iowa State. Levied that into a run with the Chicago Bulls where he was flamed out of the NBA. He came back to Nebraska, and from an outsider perspective, it seems like he's using all of his time at Nebraska to just get try and get one or two players to the NBA. He's taking kind of the Calipari role there. You saw it a couple Calipari of years ago. Calipari Jr. Yeah, yeah, he's got kind of like a Calipari role where he just he just wants players to go to the NBA. You saw it with Isaac Banton, who was their 6'9 point guard a couple of years ago. He's now with like the Toronto Raptors, maybe the 76ers. I can't remember what NBA t- picked him up, but he was an un or a second round draft pick, but really just because he was quote unquote a point guard, when in reality he was just some random power forward that Fred Hoiberg insisted he play point guard to game the system, get him in the league. It does uh, appear that his son Sam Hoiberg is a sophomore on the team, averaging nine points a game. Oh, so that's great. I bet he's a great Hoiberg shooter. Connection. He better be. It'd be weird if he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, he's just crossing people right. off. All, all above the rim. But, yeah, their best player is uh, Renick Mast. Uh, he's from the Netherlands. 6'10 guy. They've got a lot more size than, uh, than either of the, the previous three opponents that they'll play. So it's an interesting test. I, I think that Nebraska it does have some expectation to maybe be better in the Big Ten this year. Um, but if it's a Hoiberg team, I mean, like in, in his mold, they usually have guys that can shoot the ball, but it's Nebraska, so they're not quite as athletic as some of their conference opponents. But they seem to be big, and so that'll be a big test. It will be kind of a, a total polar opposite because you got the Troy and Appalachian State. You're going to have really good guards that are pressing you. It's going to be more of a test for the guards. Nebraska will be more of the test for the bigs. You've kind of gotten a pass because they've been so much bigger. We'll be curious to see. How Shoal or Casey Abekway steps up against a legitimate power five center. Right. If it's going better with, with small a smaller lineup against Appalachian State, Wayne can roll with it the same way he did against Troy. But against Nebraska, I mean, they don't have to each play 30-plus well, minutes, but Casey and Shoal are going to have to stay out there and play through, you know, not necessarily foul trouble because you have both of them, but some mistakes. Well, that's something we talked about in the preseason podcast, too, where we just kind of previewed all the Pac-12 teams. But this is a very deep league, the Pac-12, this year at the center position. There are some giants out there, and yes. you're going to need to see some production from Casey and Shoal at some point this year. So. Time to get their feet wet now, I guess. Right. That'll be – I mean, hopefully they, they – neither one of them played very much against Troy. So, and hopefully they, they can be more of a force and a presence against Appalachian State. But Casey does look more. super slimmed down, and, and Scholl is moving much better than he was last year. He so does. He does look I think healthy. there's positives for both of them. Right. They're going to have their moments on, on both. But we, we'll, we'll be needing them, and they'll, they'll be there to block shots. You know Scholl is going to pop a three at some point. Casey will get his put-back and ones. But, so, yeah. That'll be a fun. Don't forget about that. Obviously, the football game's at four thirty, but make it the doubleheader. You know, I'm shout outs to anybody that's going to that. 
Yeah, for real. That would, and honestly, I'm surprised you're not. I thought I looked at it. It's like a seven-hour flight. I don't understand <laughs> this country's geography. I had no idea it could be that far away. <laughs> All right. Any uh, any shout outs on our way out of here? Well, I, well, real quick. Obviously, we we predict a pair of. Wins, oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Course. No. Let's do our actual predictions. Because my prediction is that the Appalachian State game will be closer to the Troy. That'll be very close, kind of back and forth. I think you'll see the Beavers come out to an early lead, and then see Appalachian State kind of battle back. I think that the Nebraska game will be different. I'm predicting a, like, 10 or 12-point win for the Beavers with the Nebraska game. Okay, and that'll be the one that gets people talking, even though it maybe should be Appalachian State just as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, People will start talking once you beat Nebraska. I I think that the shots are going to fall at a much higher rate against Appalachian State than they did Either of the first two games, they're they're not shooting great from three or the free throw line really right now. No, the so, shooting is not there right now. In this right, season. I mean the second game ended eighty one eighty, but that's with ten extra minutes. There's both teams did start hitting shots. There's much more movement in the offense this year. It feels like there's it more looks purpose, a lot better. but the shooting is not there. But I th- I'm saying that the Apple, that they'll get be up and down. You know, they'll try to make it a fast paced game and Pope and Acano and Christian Wright. He, he had a couple threes even against Linfield there. They're going to get their points, and it'll be something, you know, a high-scoring game, really, for something mid-80s to mid-70s. And Nebraska, I'm going to go the other way and say that'll be a little bit of a closer one, that the extra size will present some challenges early. But Jordan Pope and Kano and and guys like Gavin Mars and Endong will be forced to step in and play more major minutes, and they'll thrive, and they'll win that one, too. Okay, I like it. All right, any shout-outs on our way out? No, just thank you so much to everyone listening. It's cool. It seems like more people are tuning in. Thank you to Mike Parker for letting me plug the podcast during halftime of the Linfield game. That was an honor. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned, everybody. It's about to get more fun. All right. And then uh, I want to give a shout-out. i got a couple of shout-outs. I want to give a shout-out to uh, Zach, our listener, Zach, who came down and joined us. Oh, at yeah, the, shit, of course. That the was Oregon awesome. State game against Troy. Zach. Yep, Zach was great. Great guy. That was super fun. I want to give a shout-out to Trevor Kramer for hooking us up with those amazing tickets and the Brent Berry cards. because We got our hands on them, right. Because yeah. I heard those were only for students. Because one of the other people I want to give a shout-out to, Kathy, the lady who sat next to me and my girlfriend at the game, true Beaver fan. She was upset that she didn't get a Brent Berry card because she said they told her, quote-unquote, that she was too old. They were just for students. What? Um I want to give a special shout-out to Kathy because she told me she used to sit courtside. Now she sits one row back. But she said that when she used to sit courtside, she'd put a little piece of chalk in her shoe and she would draw lines on the referees when she didn't like them. That's a true Beaver fan That's to me. That's Peyton Head shit. That's Peyton Head. Shout-out to you, Kathy. You were great to sit next to. That was The Troy basketball game was one of the most fun Beaver basketball experiences of my life. It, it has me ready for more. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh. We'll, we'll be back soon. That's true. Oh, and shout-out to uh, my girlfriend for she's a duck alumni but she put on an oregon state shirt and she cheered for it yeah so she got into we're converting people left and right so shout out to all the good people out there and i guess there's just one last thing to say fuck the ducks fuck the ducks all right go beast forever we'll see y'all very soon